0: And even more interesting, you can kinda of get a sense of a sponsor's disposition or I guess, you know, their their risk profile based on their underwriting assumptions. So are they generally a more risky person? Are they generally a conservative person? And you can kinda of get some hints based on Of their assumptions. I'm Neil.
1: And I'm Brittany.
2: We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world.
1: Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom.
2: Greetings friends and families, I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to The Road to Family Freedom. Uh, With us today is Rob Beardsley. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing very
0: well, thanks for having me.
2: Oh, it's great to have you, it's great to have you. So, a little bit about Rob. He's the co-founder of Lone Star Capital. He's got a long family history in real estate and is now using that experience to build financial freedom for his family with multifamily investing. With all that said, Rob, you wanna give our friends and families a quick intro into how you got into real estate and what you're working on now.
0: Absolutely. So, as you mentioned, grew up in a real estate family. My dad's been involved in brokerage investments and, you know, fix and flip. So he's pretty much done it all. And the one thing he didn't do was build a portfolio of, of long-term wealth. It was always about the quick profits and that certainly works. And, you know, I wouldn't be here without those profits today, but, one of the main goals of your listeners in this show certainly is lasting family wealth and that can only be achieved with as you guys know passive cash flow so that's kind of our next mission specifically mine in acquiring multifamily property which in my opinion today has the the most favorable risk-adjusted return for passive cash flow assets and and hopefully it, it takes us where we want to go
1: awesome so is that kind of what is your ideal destination is it just that cash flow for financial independence or is there somewhere else you're going with this
0: so currently my dad runs a residential brokerage firm in silicon valley and our goal is to scale back that business or pretty much automate it and delegate it to the point where his involvement is pretty much zero and that of course has to be achieved through a replacement of, of that income via passive investments. So our goal is to, over the next couple of years, build that passive portfolio to replace that income, and then hopefully scale that to a million dollars tax deferred every year.
2: So a million dollars tax deferred every year is is sort of what your is the number that you've got your your eye set on right now.
0: Yeah, my dad and I do. Personally, my my personal near-term goal is to acquire 100 million in multifamily assets over the next year and a half.
2: Good, it's a great destination. Awesome. So most of our, many people who get into real estate have to spend some time getting educated. That's a big part, a big component of it how did you go about getting yourself educated? I mean, you said that you sort of grew up in it, but have you spent any time getting yourself educated specifically in multifamily at all?
0: Yeah. So that's a good question. The The process for me to get myself educated was first just researching everything I could online. And lucky for us these days, there's a wealth of knowledge for pretty much anything you want to learn online. And so that's something that anyone can take advantage of and and really do 80% of their learning from free and online. However, there is some important stuff that is hard to learn online and those are the, the tangible lessons. And I think those lessons can be learned and accelerated via mentors and just getting involved without the hesitation of, oh, I need to learn everything first and then I'll get involved. I think I benefited from, let's just jump right in and You know, the mistakes will be lessons and hopefully they won't be too painful.
2: I like that a lot. (laughs) No, I think that's a great, uh, that's an important thing to remember. I have to beat myself in the head every once in a while and remind myself that it's okay to just get started and learn and fail and then iterate on what you learned.
1: Yeah, the mistakes are really important and that's, you're right, that's how we learn. Those are our lessons. So it's, it's a good thing to be reminded of. All right. So let's talk about money. (laughs) How do you go about financing your, or how did you go about financing your first deal?
0: Sure. So, you know, obviously my family was a major help with that and not only providing seed capital, but also the experience it would be really hard for me to go out to the world and and raise capital all on my own. And so understanding that I tried to surround myself with experienced partners, whether it was through the property management company, we were working with my business partner, my family and, and my mentors. And so just positioning myself as bringing them on to the, to the deal and showing their experience and, and highlighting that that allowed us to raise, um, Nearly four and a half million on our first deal. Oh, wow! And so, yeah, like I said, we kind of just jumped into to a big deal and and learned all the mistakes along the way, or learned from our mistakes along the way, uh, which there were many. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I think that was the best way to go. You know, saying yeah, well, you know, through the confidence of our mentor, we thought yeah, we could we could raise four million bucks, and little did we know how difficult that truly is, but you know, it's, it's a really good experience and and it's a great way to grow your, your network, you know, dialing for dollars and just reaching out to long shots and you never know what relationships stick and grow. And so it's, it's all worth it.
2: Yeah. Uh, I want to dig into that a little bit in in two aspects. One is how long did it take you to raise that 4.5
0: million? About three months. Gotcha.
2: And did you have the property under contract already?
0: Yeah. In anticipation of putting the property under contract, we, we began reaching out to potential partners, people that we thought would be interested. And then once we did have the property under contract, we went through the process of putting together our legal documents and the appropriate marketing materials to effectively approach investors and send emails out to our list of prospective investors and say, Hey, we have a deal. This is what we've been looking for. This is you know how we found it. And how you know what our business plan is to effectively raise the value of the property so
2: for people who don't quite understand how uh, multifamily syndication works can you give someone a quick a quick overview of how that works
0: sure so essentially a there's a million names but a sponsor or a general partner or an, a syndicator will put a multifamily property under contract and at which point they'll create a, a, a legal syndication and where they'll be selling a security, which, I mean, that's a a bit more technical, but basically what they're doing is they're creating an LLC that's going to own the property and then sell shares of ownership into the LLC. So what this does is it allows investors who only maybe are interested in uh, diversifying into commercial real estate with 25, 50, a hundred thousand dollars. It gives them access to directly own private real estate through this syndication structure. And what that allows sponsors like us to do is to round up a lot of uh, retail capital, you know, family, friends, money in an uh, illegal and efficient way to allow us to do bigger deals. You know, if we were constrained by just our capital uh, or the bank, it would be a lot tougher to grow and, you know, to, to get where we want to go.
2: Gotcha so at a 4.5 million dollar capital raise you're probably looking at almost like an 18 20 million dollar deal
0: yeah it was actually a 15.4 million dollar purchase price with a nearly two million dollar renovation budget so it's a class C deal with a with a very heavy lift and we're nearly done stabilizing the asset now and um, yeah and how, uh, how long ago was that? We we closed on that deal in July of 2018.
2: Gotcha. And wh- uh, where is it located? Houston. Okay. And what what drew you to invest in the Houston market?
0: Great question. So I just uh, I just wrote a research paper on why Houston. So for anyone interested, uh, go to LoneStarCapGroup.com or just Google, Google my name and, and why Houston, and hopefully you can find it but basically the the Houston market is a very interesting one at this point in time given that so much of the country is in uh, the late phases of expansion or even oversupply and and Houston's CBD is is no different you know every major market's downtown is being built with lots of new luxury apartments and Houston is no exception however the suburbs still have that really favorable uh, supply demand and balance for affordable housing which is Uh, not uncommon these days, which is certainly unfortunate for the U S population, but really good for multifamily investments. And the, the major distinction between Houston and the other potentially, I mean, there's lots of good markets to invest in, but Houston had a recession in 2015 and 2016 due to the drop in oil prices. And it also suffered greatly from hurricane Harvey. And those two events caused a setback in the progress of Houston's economic cycle. And so in my opinion, Houston has a lot more room to run than many other markets, given that it lagged a bit a few years ago and now is catching steam and, and really starting to run as it had uh, the most job growth in nominal terms last year and is set to have the highest job growth again this year.
2: Great. Very cool. So your investors who invest with you are they're passive investors um, and it's one of the more passive types of real estate investing. You do pretty much the most passive. However, you're an active investor. Can you give give us an indication of how much time per day that you spend on your real estate endeavors?
0: Sure. So this is my full-time job. And on, on my own syndications, I think I'm spending roughly a 50 to 60 hour work week and I mean, that is just because I do enjoy it. I think I could get away with less, but I'm spending time working on the business. I'm an active writer. And so I, I send out a monthly newsletter to which is geared towards sophisticated real estate professionals. And some of my other time is spent on our family's portfolio endeavors. So looking for other syndicated investments where we're the passive investor and not the sponsor and looking for ways that we can add value to other multifamily syndicators, as well as other real estate opportunities like debt funds and other ways to diversify our personal portfolio.
1: Awesome. Well, you spend a lot of time on this. Do you have any systems that you've created to um, help you automate your business in any way?
0: Yeah, I, I wish. I feel like that's my, <laughs> my, biggest, my biggest flaw right now. I, I would love to get more automation in, in my business, but I'll, let me think. So, well, I have began the process of delegating some of our analysis and underwriting that we do internally for our acquisitions. And right now it doesn't feel like delegating or automating because I have to do a lot of hands-on teaching and explaining, but the hope is that eventually bring someone onto the team and they can then take a lot of responsibility off your hands. Gotcha.
2: Yeah and are they are they virtual assistants are they people who are local to where you are are, you in are they in person or are they virtual
0: uh, i actually have a an intern that is currently in college uh, so it is it is virtual par- partially virtual partially in person
2: gotcha i want to circle back for a second because you mentioned that you and your family also invest in syndications passively and we're, we're big believers in that how do you go about underwriting and qualifying those investments for yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's very similar to the process of us underwriting our own deals that we're pursuing as sponsors. So I I built my own financial model uh, that's catered specifically towards value add multifamily. And uh, this is the model that that we've run thousands of properties through already. And, Certainly for the Houston market, we know the market well, and we can confidently underwrite in that market to identify valuations and, and, you know, the merit of a a potential deal. But for other markets, as you may have alluded, it gets a bit more complicated when you're looking into a new market and you don't know the market and how do you underwrite it and how do you price the exit cap or, you know, can you project a, a certain level of growth for that market and you know, so to answer your question, I I utilize when I'm looking at another sponsor's deal and we're considering investing in it, I'll first ask to see their underwriting because I'd like to see their assumptions. And of course I'm not gonna take all of those at face value and just plug it into my spreadsheet and say I'm done. <clears throat> but it's a good start to get an understanding of what are they assuming, how are they approaching this deal. And even more interesting, you can kind of get a sense of a sponsor's disposition, or I guess, you know, their, their risk profile based on their underwriting assumptions. So are they generally a more risky person? Are they generally a conservative person? And you can kind of get some hints based on some of their assumptions. And for more you know practical data, I'll use City data, Enodo and Yardi for, for kind of gathering some of this more market data. And, and basically just plugging in all of that into my model and if, and if it shows a, a return that I think is fair for that market and the deal then, then it's something worth doing
2: gotcha so we already spoke we already know you invest long distance you don't do you invest uh, locally in the Bay Area, Bay Area at all?
0: we're looking into it but as of right now we haven't made any uh, Bay Area investments in a long time and I, I have never personally
2: Yeah. Uh, And I think I understand why, but could you explain to people why you probably wouldn't invest right now in the Bay area?
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure. So as, as flow investors, meaning we're looking for a meaningful current yield out of our investments, we really have to buy in areas where there's a, where the cap rate is higher than the cost of debt. And in a market like Silicon Valley, that is pretty much impossible with most properties trading at, you know, three to four caps. Uh, it's, it it basically means you're going to have to lever at 50% LTV and you know, you're lucky to get four to 5% cash on cash. And if our goal is to live off the cash flow that our investments produce, it's a lot easier to achieve that goal. If we're buying investments that we can achieve closer to double digit cash on cash returns. Gotcha.
1: So since you do invest long distance, how often do you need to or want to visit your actual, your
0: properties? Well, I definitely don't make it to Houston enough, but between my partner and I, we are trying to be in Houston uh, once a month.
1: Okay. Even if you weren't able to make it out there as much as you wanted, do you feel like you could do what you're doing from anywhere in the States, anywhere in the world, or um, do you feel like you need to be at least a flight? a shortish flight away.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's another one of the big components of the business that really drew me is the fact that I can be wherever I want and I'm not I don't have to go into an office, I don't have to be at the properties at a moment's notice. Like you said, I really do think I could be around the world and and still make these deals happen and of course that wouldn't be possible with really strong boots on the ground and partners but but yeah i think that's a really really important thing that's i, I really do appreciate
1: yeah you gotcha. just gotta get your team in place so that you can go on vacation Importance. <laughs> important
0: <laughs> exactly yeah
2: so what do you believe is the most critical skill for someone who is looking into getting into multifamily syndication? Uh, for them to develop in themselves.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question because I think there's a, so many different skills necessary in order to be successful, or in order to create a successful syndication. And so there probably isn't only one skill that is you know unlocks everything because uh, there's there's so many pieces of the puzzle that need to be brought forth. There's the the underwriting and the analysis. There's the deal sourcing. So you need to talk to brokers and establish those relationships need to have boots on the ground, need to have a, a balance sheet to be able to qualify for these loans, uh, need to have the investor relationships to be able to raise capital. So I think while being good at any one of those skills could lead you to be successful because there's plenty of people that their souls, well, I don't want to say their sole skill, but their main skill is marketing and their ability to raise capital uh, that can be leveraged to do a whole lot in this business because obviously you can't do deals without money. Additionally, you can, you can have a really strong uh, analytical mind and be able to structure deals and analyze deals well. And, and that's kind of your, your ticket to success. So the overall, that one skill that you asked, I think would be mindset and that mindset is looking at deals and, and how to make them work and be being able to bring on partners. It's, it's absolutely a team sport and anyone trying to do everything themselves is going to see their success come a whole lot slower than those who are looking to partner.
2: Gotcha. No, I think that's a great point. There are different skills that someone's going to need to develop if they're on the raising capital side uh, of the syndication versus someone who's focused on market analysis or property underwriting. Um, And you bring up a good point that syndication is very much a team sport. Um, I don't know if, I can't think of a single syndicator that's probably just doing it all. Right. So
1: So if you could go back, maybe hit a magic magic reset button. (laughs) If you could hit a magic reset button and go back to the beginning of your journey, what do you think you might do differently? Or maybe if you could give your, you know, your younger self some, Advice. Um, what, what might that be?
0: Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I mm-hmm. I think the mistakes that I made were were the common ones, and that's doing due diligence and thinking long term and being being more. I mean, it's it's simple, but being more organized and just understanding the the, the processes involved in. Something as simple as sounds as simple as getting a loan, but you know really that that is a key aspect of the deal. I mean, I've heard it said that your lender is your biggest investor in your deal. And dragging, for example, for for us, we on our first deal, we dragged out the loan situation uh, for a long time, and that's that delayed us, that delayed our focus on the equity raising. And then we were late to the game on raising capital and And it just put us behind and stressed us out. And so one thing that my dad has always said is when you're not under contract, the days are long and and time is slow. But the second you get under contract, time goes by very quickly and the days are limited. And so everything you can do prior to contract, well, everything that you can do while under contract, but also prior to Mm -hmm. do it prior to it's that simple adage of, do things when you can, not when you have to. And it's something that's so simple but but really hard to do as you get caught up in the, the acquisition chase. Gotcha.
2: What advice would you have for someone who was looking to get into multifamily investing who has a full-time job and a family?
0: Yeah. That's definitely a, a a common a common question and and something that a lot of people are are looking to do. And I think Unfortunately, the easiest way to get involved is through your own capital and investing into syndications passively. So if, if people do have uh, some some capital to to get in the door that way, it's very helpful. I think going back to something I wish I'd have done earlier, I wish I would have done that earlier. I wish I would have raised capital for another sponsor earlier. I was stubborn and saying, well, no, I wanna do my own deal and I wanna raise capital for my own deal. but the you know the first level would be investing passively in a syndication and then the next level would be coming onto the general partnership as a capital raiser and you know that's the next level and gives you more insight into the deal obviously gives you more compensation if you're going to be bringing capital to the table more so than just your own and i think that's pretty much the most straightforward way people can get involved in syndications asking someone with a full time job to pound the pavement and look for off-market deals or to spend their nights uh, running properties through a, an underwriting spreadsheet is is less likely.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I think someone with a full-time job probably theoretically can start to build the network that would allow that to be a possibility and, and be successful doing that. So yeah. that makes sense. I think that's great advice.
2: Yeah. What did you find when you were raising capital? What did you find was the best source of connecting with passive investors
0: so existing relationships are obviously the the first place to go however if if no one has ever heard of you say multifamily syndication before and then all of a sudden they're getting phone calls and emails from you saying i've got a deal give me your money that can be a bit <laughs> more difficult so it's it's really helpful to kind of lay the groundwork by starting to position yourself as a thought leader, or, or this is what I'm doing. This is what I've learned. You know, I want to share, I want to share this knowledge. I want to share, share the things I'm, I'm working on with you. And that way it's a more natural progression when you actually have a deal to present, uh, to raise capital. So, I mean, existing relationships, if groomed correctly are, are the number one way to go. And then, meetups, conferences, and just going to places where you're going to meet like-minded people who are already actively looking for these sorts of opportunities, I've found to be extremely helpful for both meeting passive investors, as well as meeting other sponsors to passively invest with. Gotcha.
2: Rob, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, if any of our guests want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way they could find you?
0: Sure. So you can shoot me an email at rob at lonestarcapgroup.com. If you you want to email me asking for a copy of my Houston research report or a copy of my underwriting model that I built from scratch, you're welcome to do so. If you want to learn more about Lone Star, you can go to lonestarcapgroup.com.
2: Well, that's great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Rob. Thank you. So that was Rob Beardsley from Lone Star Capital. Great to talk to him and Catch up and uh, find out what he's up to. He's um,
1: a young whippersnapper.
2: He man. is a young <laughs> <laughs> he is he is a young whippersnapper. I think there was even a friend of mine at um, the Best Ever Conference who met him and was like, "I want to adopt him." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he already has a father who's obviously taking very good care of him, and yeah. and he's learned a lot from him. So, yeah. so was, were there any key lessons learned that you, you picked off from this interview?
1: Yeah. I kind of liked the, your, your failures are your lessons. I think that was just like a really good reminder that along the way you're going to have things go wrong or, or not do it quite right or have to learn some kind of, of lesson. And then it's really just to take it as a lesson and rather than beating yourself up and, and saying, well, I can't do this until I know how to do
2: it perfectly. Yes, and it was absolutely uh, what I come away with was get just get started, just start doing it, learn as you go. If you wait until you have, you think you've got everything figured out, you'll never get started. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, it's it's impressive how quickly that he's just gotten going since um, he kind of jumped into this market, and you know he's um, done his first deal, and he's kind of you know he's broke the seal now, so it sounds like he's about ready to finish a second deal and working on a couple more, you know, during the rest of the year. So that's, that's really impressive. And that really just sounds like it just came from, okay, I'm just going to start doing it.
0: Yep.
2: So how did he go about acquiring his knowledge?
1: Well, I mean, obviously he had that family background, which helped. And then it just sounds like he, he kind of chose what he wanted to learn about. And then he did a lot of online research Uh, And then from there found a mentor that sort of backed him up.
2: Yeah. And it sounds like from our discussions with him that he uh, started with a mentor about a year and a half ago. And um, so he's gone, he's, he's done really well for somebody who started, you know, really dug into it about a year and a half ago.
1: Yeah. He's definitely taken advantage of the knowledge that he's been acquiring, which is fantastic. So how much money? did it take for him to get started?
2: Well, because real estate syndication is a little bit different than the kind of real estate that most people might be familiar with, it it involves other people's, mostly other people's money because the assets are so large. I mean, you're talking 18, $20 million deal is his first deal. And they had to, they had to raise $4.5 million. Mm -hmm. So that was more about, I don't know. I don't know if it's fair to say, you know, how much money he got, Started with, but I don't yeah. know. That's maybe, you know, it's what we go with. Is, yeah. You know, it takes, it, it does take that much money, but it's more about, it's not necessarily about how much money you're bringing, but it's how much money are you able to um, find. Find. Yeah. Investors.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. And it sounds like they, I mean, m- maybe not him personally, but his family invested at least a small amount. Yes. Uh, yeah. Moving forward. So having that can definitely be a good place to start. But if you really, want to put the time and effort in and have the network, you don't have to necessarily have any money of your own.
2: Yes. That's a great point too. And he even mentioned that a large part of their initial investor base came from their family's network who are people who are in real estate or have done deals, real estate deals before in the Bay area, Silicon Valley. So there's probably some money there. Uh, That definitely, that definitely helps. Yeah.
1: All right, So how much time are we talking about on real estate spending on real estate and uh, syndication?
2: He's doing this full time. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, I don't know if he had another job before that, uh, but he said 50 to 60 hours. He's trying to uh, bring on some people to sort of help him with that. Yeah. Uh, but real estate syndication is a, a full-time job. Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's also important to note that part of if you want to be the person who's putting together the syndication, that you kind of have to have some kind of thought leadership platform in in some way. or you, you have to be acknowledged as knowledgeable <laughs> yeah. um, by other people in a thought leadership platform. You know, blog, newsletter, podcast. Those are the ways that you 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 express yourself as knowledgeable in a certain area. And so I you know I would just. Mention that it's probably not all real estate syndication work that he's doing. He's probably doing some thought leadership stuff there, and then we also have to mention that you know when he talked about where people might want to get started if they are uh, you know someone that has a full time job and a family, that you wouldn't necessarily be starting with what he's doing. You would be more coming on as either a passive investor or bringing in investors, not finding the deals, underwriting the deals, yada, yada, yada. Cause that's the part that takes a long time is the probably more the finding.
2: Correct. And underwriting things like that. Yeah. So, so do you think he could do this strategy from anywhere in the world?
1: Yeah. As long as he has that team in place and we kind of talked about that. He just needs to get probably some things offloaded onto other people. And, and that can be, it sounded, he didn't say it quite so clearly, but it sounded like he's struggling a little bit with allowing, you know, like I can do it better than anyone else can. Yes. And so trying to teach that. And that's actually one of the hard skills to learn is teaching someone else to do something the way that you want it done and, and then letting go. Yeah. It's, it's difficult yeah. in any line of work. Um, you know, you've got those micromanagers out there that no one likes. So it's good. He's, I, I think he, he needs to get it done and then go on a vacation with his dad. Once they get <laughs> his dad out of there. Yeah, I just, yeah. that was so sweet. Like yeah, it's, it's about getting his dad into retirement kind of.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, and that's um, one of the great things about real estate investing. When you go into that mindset with, my goal is to help others. And, and that's a lot of where we're coming from as well, which is we want to teach others to achieve financial freedom. Um,
1: so. While we teach ourselves along the way.
2: Yes. So, well, thank you. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to road to slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.